Hi folks, this is Alan Watt. It is November the 23rd, 2006. Tonight, I'm bowing to a little bit of pressure. I don't normally bow to any kind of pressure. But this will tie in with some of the talks I've given in the past. And it's about the culture creation industry. How ideas are downloaded into people's minds via fiction primarily using high drama high drama with emotion emotion plus crisis a situation in a movie and drama um, is a tremendous method of getting uh, points across it's almost like coupling an idea with the drama and it's downloaded like a virus into your subconscious and you're being programmed and it's called predictive programming. The technique is ancient, and it's an old, old science. Plato, in his Republic, talks about the, the, the culture industry of his own day and how it, it was essential not only for maintaining control over the people by the elite, but that they had to control everything that was given to the public. In other words, anything the public saw in drama on stage was authorized. Not only was it authorized, in ancient Greece, traveling troops of players would come into the cities and do the rounds, and it was compulsory to attend. Everyone, even the slaves, had to attend at least one performance. Because, just like today, they had their agenda and their schedule and their upgrading of the system, and it was done primarily through fiction, because the old saying is, monkey see, monkey do. And we emulate what we see, especially when it's done in a typical hero and heroine form. The male will project himself into the hero's part and identify with the hero character, and the female, at least in the old days before uh, all the vast uh, estrogen stuff in their food and so on, and inoculations, the females used to um, look towards the heroine. This is an ancient, ancient science. It's never, ever given up. And actors are hereditary. The, the families in acting can go back probably hundreds, maybe some of them, some of them maybe thousands of years. Specialized sections of society, once more, and they marry each other and intermarry within even smaller ranks. And what's more in interesting is the producers, the, the magicians, you might say, who understand and have a full grasp of what is to be conveyed to the audience, what messages must be imprinted in them, in their minds. And he, is, he knows the techniques and how to do this perfectly. A perfect science. Now what's interesting is that back in the 1960s, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and its American branch, Council on Foreign Relations, had one of their international meetings, they held it in England, to decide which country, using its film industry, would create the international culture of the future. And this was in the newspapers back then. And it was a, I think, two week or two or three week long meeting and it was ultimately 
agreed upon that Hollywood would be given the job to create the worldwide culture for the general public, for a global society. And it would also be coupled with the music industry, obviously, because they go hand in glove, as Plato said, plus the fashion industry. Uh, Plato mentioned that too, and he called it the fashion industry in ancient Greece. Nothing, nothing, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And if something works, you don't want to change it. Why change it? Formula of human behavior is just a science. Each part of the direction that you want to go into is just the ability to understand the formulas involved and then what buttons to push and what sequence. And it is done in the right way, the right presentation, with the right propaganda, the public will react and do exactly as they've been programmed to do, as worked in the past, it will work in the future. That's why they're, they're utterly, utterly confident that they can change society, um, even back to infanticide if they wish to, because they've done that in ancient Greece. So it was taught and, and practiced there. So anything can be reintroduced if it's been done in human society before. You just have to know the formula to introduce it. They're gonna put me in the movies They're gonna make a big star out of me We'll make a film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally Well, I'll bet you I'm gonna be a big star Might win an Oscar, you can't never tell The movie's gonna make me a big star Cause I can play the part so well Well, I hope you come see me in the movie And I know that you'll plainly see Biggest fool that's ever hit the big time And all I gotta do is act naturally So Hollywood, this amazing industry, probably one of the biggest exports now, maybe the only one left in the U.S. apart from the military, uh, Hollywood is called the Hollywood, Holy Wood. It's the Holy Wood, of course, is a staff of, of the Magi, of the Magus, the Grand Magus in the occults. He waves a wand and everything is altered, changed. He casts a spell. And it's portrayed even in the cartoons with Mickey Mouse with his little wand as he's dressed like the wizard. And little stars, five-pointed stars, come from the wand. Earth, air, fire, water, spirit, the five points. That's what it means. High drama. And in the ancient uh, Middle Eastern legends, 
all the holy men there had their staff. Uh, we even find it in the Old Testament as the uh, Moses has the little contest with uh, the Pharaoh's magi, and they they play it uh, changing sticks into snakes and back back again, which is a good trick. The uh, but the trick of conducting a spell over the audience is by using a staff, the holy the holy wood. The holy wood also, on another level, is the grove, because in ancient times and in the present times, the bigger boys like to meet in specialized places across the planet in their holy groves. Uh, very, very important. There's much more to this even in, in Jewish folklore about the groves. And Moses' brass serpent that was called around the staff that had made uh, it's all allegory of course or something else which I understand but uh, supposedly it was placed in a grove surrounded by trees and that was a special place for the, the higher magi to meet I'll be going into some movies that will show you uh, the understanding within Hollywood, at least in the director's part. Many of the actors don't even understand it themselves, but the directors and producers certainly do. And some of the bigger ones are given the information and their advice on how to get it across to the public. It's not that they have geniuses within Hollywood, per se. It's that they have special insight through a crystal ball into the future. It's because their job is to program us as we go into the future, always. Hollywood has been an essential part of government, especially in the United States. There are, there are books out on Hollywood's involvement with making war movies. They churned out I don't know how many war movies in World War II. And they had the full cooperation of the American military and the use of oh, squadrons of tanks and ships and everything to make it very, very realistic to get the recruitment going uh, to fight the Nazis and then the Japanese. Tremendous part of propaganda, and it's never stopped. And even today, the Pentagon admits they have funded some of the bigger movies to do with war and Jarhead and all this kind of nonsense to get the young guys in for recruits. Now, just jumping back a little bit into the 1500s, a period of tremendous change in Europe when the, the Rosicrucians were coming out into the open and recruiting heavily amongst uh, uh, what was then the up-and-coming middle-class youth, especially those involved in sciences, Science is very important to them. And a whole bunch of characters were around the court of Queen Elizabeth I. Very important people in an important age. You can find John Dee there. Uh, Flood was there as well. And Flood is the man primarily responsible 
for the creation of the Globe Theatre, which was for Shakespearean plays. And nothing is by accident. And Robert Flood uh, was also an alchemist. He was involved in architecture in the Hermetic tradition, which means that they wanted to unite heaven and earth. Always the same Hermetic tradition, the unification of both spirit and matter, uh, the perfection of the world. In their eyes, of course, they knew and always did know that the understanding was for those in the know, for the profane and for the masses, they would simply be slaves. They had no qualms about differentiating themselves uh, as a higher class of people, a specialized type, intellectual type. In Stratford-upon-Avon, if you break it down, it means a straight ford upon Avon, the river. And a ford is to cross a river. And if you draw it, you have the shape of a cross. And they always say you meet the devil at the crossroads. Avon is Nova, new. So it's the new straight cross. That's what it meant. And Shakespeare, or Jacques Pierre, the priest of the father, was the magician who brought basically the English language into being as we know it. It's been upgraded since, but that was a major upgrade in, in that particular period. Before that, it was, uh, before that Chaucer uh, had upgraded the last one with, the, with Canterbury Tales and other, other writings. And before that, it was Old Norse and Saxon German that the people spoke. So a new language was created scientifically. It's fully encoded, of course. And it's a pity as well, because we've, we've lost so much of it. We're, we're losing so many words that eventually we won't be able to convey um, anything to anyone else with any precision. And that's called linguistic minimalism, a technique which has also been used on the public because the children, for a long time, have been for generations have been getting their, their vocabulary from the media and from their music and the heroes that they follow God help us if we all end up following the sports teams uh, members uh, because uh, if you want linguistic minimalism uh, when they interview these players after a match you've got it right there so the 1500s was a tremendously important time it was also, as I say, the, the introduction of the hermetic thought, the perfection of man, which means more than just a superficial perfection. They're talking about going all the way into the, the real religion, which is to recreate that which was separated from God. And that goes back to the allegory of Adam and Eve. Because in the separation, Adam retained the spirit that was given, whereas Eve was given the ability to 
recreate humanity, to, to give humanity offspring. And that's the big secret in masonry. And that's why they don't really, really appreciate women so much. They have no spirit. And Albert Pike said that, that the woman can only reflect uh, the light of her husband. He is the sun, she's the moon. The moon has no light of its own. It reflects light from the sun. This is all they're put down of the female. And their perfection would be when they united the two together. It's an ancient, ancient religion. Going as pre-Judaic. And they've never lost sight of this goal. Where everything will be in harmony, supposedly. Again, according to them. But then they do give you their ending at the beginning. That's the trick of religion. To give you a beginning, which really is their end. Getting back to the 1500s. Uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, the, the first sponsored these Rosicrucians to write plays and she attended most of them herself and Christopher Marlowe was probably the odd man out because he wrote uh, about this hermetic group who were bringing the occult into their stage plays and because of that he exposed too much it's debatable if he was one of them himself and said too much or if he was actually truly opposing them but he was like Dagobert long before him he was stabbed through the eye which is the Masonic technique for, for one who sees too much there is so much I could go into and it's a shame in a sense to do this as a spontaneous blurb off the top of my head but uh, at the moment time is of the essence and so everything is pretty well spontaneous so what I'll concentrate on tonight are a few movies which have been very telling in their information and their understanding of the system and also as always you have your predictive programming because in the, the revelation of the method in high esoteric circles you can also put in there an, an, an idea of inevitability as well it familiarizes us with an idea so that when it actually comes into place we accept it without question as somehow being normal I'd like to talk about the movie called Network which came out in 76, 1976. A story about a guy working as a TV anchorman who gets a kind of messianic brainstorm one day and starts telling the truth to the public. And one of his statements is, he says, you're the real people to the audience. We're fake. When he, when he realizes that the audience are trying to emulate a fiction, because everything you see on television is a fiction, is directed, is produced, is not spontaneous. Uh, guests, when they're on a question-answer show of any kind, uh, have the, the pre-planned questions there. I watched uh, a little blurb about uh, Kissinger and found out when he came to Canada 
that his his the guy who manages Kissinger, and they are, they're all managed too, um, had put a, a, a suggested set of questions that they could ask Kissinger, and anything not on that list would simply not be answered, and they, or they can walk off the set. There's nothing spontaneous on television. Everything is produced as fake. It's fake. It's an essential arm of controlling your mind. Always has been. But in the movie network, as he has these convulsive fits, and he comes out with these messianic announcements in a comical fashion, um, he says a lot of truth, and eventually he's called up to see one of the big boys, one of the big guys who run the system, who runs it, and uh, the guy tells him, he says, that there is no America. He says, everything is just one vast corporation, an association of corporations. There's no, there's no Britain, there's no America, there's no Holland, there's no China, there's no Russia. It's just one conglomerate group of corporations. Money runs the thing. And that was true, that is true, because that's how it is. The economy, everything beginning with E in our language, is of prime importance. Prime importance is at the top. And that's well worth a, a look at the network and what they disclose there to a, a public that just chew bubblegum and pop their popcorn and get downloaded and yet can't even remember what they see or do. The second movie is pretty famous in some circles. It's called They Live, done in 1988 where it does show you the system, uh, again, in allegorical-type form. They do it blatantly and show you the sort of mind-control techniques of advertising, the types of people who live amongst you, uh, who look like you, but they're not you at all. And uh, In the real world, you'll find that in Freemasonry because there is uh, a definite feedback from along through Masonry of information to do with the public and places they live in. They, they collect data on everyone. And the Eastern Star is famous for that. They collect data. And I do know someone who's confronted uh, a high-ranking member of the Eastern Star, and she did admit that. And I do know that in a place I used to live, the Grand Master at the local lodge there were around all these elderly women who were Eastern Star members, and he collected the data the what's what on everybody, the gossip. So it's well worth a, a look at how they live done in allegorical form. They have the alien twist in it, of course, which um, <laughs> which is highly popularized by the authorized guys in some countries. I was asked to do uh, a documentary by one of these well-known guys. Uh... But then when he found out I wouldn't push the alien agenda, uh, that's the last I heard from him. He phoned me, by the way. Third movie is The Original Wicker Man, made in 1974. Very revealing movie on the religion that runs the world with an outward form of nature worship but also with an elite group at the top who play with people. And that's a very key 
part of it. They play with people as though they were bored. They know how we, we think. And in The Wicker Man, a, a policeman is sent from his little area in Scotland to an island off the west coast of Scotland, supposedly, to investigate a missing girl. And he's been actually lured there. And the whole movie is about how he's played with and how he comes across clues that are left out for him to pick up, knowing with each clue how his mind will work to the next part and the next part and the next part, to the very end, where he has become the willing fool for the sacrifice. He was a king's representative, so he was important. He came willingly, very important too. He was a virgin, very unique these days. But um, what, what was kind of funny to me was to see how they, they put a policeman there. Now, most policemen are pretty well Freemasons because it's almost mandatory to become a Freemason when you join the police force, the fraternity, the brotherhood of the police. And anyone who's visited policemen's homes will will see their their photograph of the, the person with their police cadet uniform on at graduation and next to it is the Masonic one with their gloves and all the rest of it because they must swear allegiance first to each other before they swear allegiance to serve you. They don't serve you, they serve the elite to employ them to protect and serve. But in the Wicker Man, he has the, the, the policeman has the proper British type and some the British Commonwealth country type hat on. And round the hat's a band of black and white squares. It's a chessboard, it's a tethered floor of Freemasonry as well. It's the two opposites. It's also the, the heaven and hell. Uh, they have the right to use the black force um, when necessary. And that's why they stand up for each other as well and often change their little books and their stories to justify uh, what they're doing. So that, that was the only part that didn't make sense, of course, but it takes someone to understand that, to see that. But it well worth the look at as a wicker man. The original one, made in 1974, I believe there's a later one out which is going right off the wall where there's some sort of monster involved. <clears throat> Another movie to see, which I didn't know was even out there, came out in 2003. Not publicized, just like The Wicker Man. It was a movie called Control Factor. Excellent movie, which has a lot of fact in there, to do with mind control, using microwave frequencies and the little microwave towers all around cities to control the minds of the public, but also a specialized secretive group of scientists with full authority using advanced types of weaponry who go in and chip the brains of certain individuals within the cities. They actually use in the control factor real data that's been disclosed to the public from books such as Zygmunt Brzezinski, Between Two Ages and the Technotronic Era, 
and they use the terms technotronic, etc. And everything in that movie can be done today. Actually, it's old stuff. Whatever is disclosed to the public is actually obsolete, in a sense. They're so far beyond because there are three levels of science. And from professorship down, that's all the public domain. That's the lowest level. The CIA on the higher levels, compartmentalized levels, the higher levels, they have uh, equipment which would uh, is beyond science fiction. And there's a higher level above that for the real controllers because you never share ultimate power with the rest who help you. So Control Factor 2003 has even been shown across European countries. And as I say, I never heard of it here until someone in Belgium uh, brought it to my attention. Well worth seeing. Another one to look at is from Germany, but it's available in the stores over here for rent, made in 2002, and it's called The Experiment with English subtitles. Excellent movie on a topic I've mentioned before, how how people become what they work at, like Mr. Postman and Mr. Policeman and Mr. Soldier and this kind of thing. But the experiment, and these experiments have been done many times over, I'm sure, it takes place in, a, in a, a mock prison and a whole group of people come in. I think there's 20 of them. Ten are dressed up as the, the prison wardens. Ten uh, as the prisoners. And in a, a short space of time, the control freaks within the warden uh, society begin to become the wardens and use the same techniques and measures against the prisoners. And in no time at all, you've got a real situation going. Uh, it shows you, it, it's a very good expose on how easily people are persuaded and controlled and indoctrinated to become that which their masters want them to be. One of the most commonly talked about movies to do with, um, oh, the scary stuff, oh, children, I want to drink your blood, as a uh, his eyes wide shut, done in 1999. Very well done. Done by Stanley Kubrick, who was high up there in the high Freemasonry. He did 2001 and 2010 for Arthur C. Clarke, so he understood the agenda. He died just after the movie. Some say that he went too far with the movie. Again, that could be speculation. And you have to watch it and follow it to understand what's going on. And even then, take take note of the street names and all of the names you hear in that movie. And pronounce them backwards and forwards and so on. There's a lot more in it than than, than, than most people ever imagine. You'll see that the type of ceremony they'll have at the top where do what thou wilt is the whole of the law with his mass promiscuity within these uh, secret meetings, orgies, you might say. And masked as always, they love, they love the masks at the top. And the masks are the ones of ancient Egypt, the hermetical sciences again. 
with a jackal head and various other heads on different people. You'll see Toth in there. Sometimes it's, it's called Thoth or Toth of Egypt. And the simple secret behind Toth, who brought writing and mathematics and all this to society, it's not a person or a thing. It's thought. That's where the word comes from, thought. Most people never do it, never use their own thought. But eyes well shut shows you again, similar to the Wicker Man, how an elite play with one character right through the whole movie. And this character has no idea he's been led along. He's coming to the conclusions they want him to come to. He goes places to find out what the mystery is. And then they, they always know he's going to go there. They, they, in a sense, lead him on the whole way, right through the whole movie. And they kill people in the movie just, just because, to them, it's a game. It's nothing. They're untouchable by society. There's no police going to come after them. No inquiry. Well, we're seeing. And these groups do exist. Another good one to see is called THX1138 and this is a, a speculation on a society which is totally controlled and bred for their purposes and they live underground they never get to the surface but they work at the jobs as dictated for them they're drugged all day they're, they're tested, their urine's tested to make sure they have enough of this or that drug they have uh, um, speakers that talk to them, tell them what drugs to take or, or take more of this, etc. A totally regulated system where they're never fully, fully conscious. They have no sense, really, of individuality in this movie. A comical part is where they even have uh, a computer screen where you can go in and make confession. And a picture of a priest comes on and and you tell them all your little thoughts, and of course it's going right to the controllers at the top. <laughs> well, what's new, eh? <laughs> but well, we're seeing. Um, another good one is Logan's Run. And that was made as far back as 1975 with Michael York. And again, an artificially created society where no one grows past the age of, I don't know if it was 29 or 30. And when they, when they get to that age, uh, a little implanted chip starts to glow in their, the palm of their hand. And they go into a sort of circus where everyone comes around in, a, in an arena. An arena just comes from the word Aaron, high priest. And... They sit there and they watch what they think is a religious experience where these people are going to the next life and in reality they've been killed off and the whole system is run by computers. And that was the way of taking care of their population problem. There are no old people in the movie, interestingly enough. Christopher Walken has been in some interesting movies. Uh, I think one of them, back as far back as 1972, was first called The Happiness Cage. And, uh, and then it came out under The Mind Snatchers, where he's a soldier who causes trouble 
young and cocky in the military, and he's taken off for medical experiments. And the whole movie is about him figuring out what's happening, and it's very Tavistock in its setup. And they did have, and they do have these institutions, by the way. And the whole idea is to implant you with a form of chip and, and control you remotely. Now, they've done that in Tavistock, as Aldo Huxley talked about on his talk at Berkeley, which is on this website. Uh, and, and Huxley, this great winner, thought this was, was fantastic, a great improvement in society, sticking wires in their head and, and uh, punching buttons and, and getting them to move like robots. So that was in that particular movie, uh, the Mind Snatchers. Uh, Walken was also in another one put out in '83, and it was called Brainstorm, where he's a scientist involved in a, in, a, 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 in making a, a machine or a head, a form of headgear that would interface with computers and be able to transmit people's minds across distances and be picked up again by other computers. Uh, this isn't fantasy either. Um, these things actually do exist. It's always used eventually, even in the movie, for military purposes. But it's well worth uh, looking at this movie to see how far back they were, they were showing the public this kind of thing. And as I say, it's a form of telling you in a legalistic sense what's coming, but it's also a form of programming you to simply accept it when it really comes into reality, predictive programming. We don't question things when it's, we're sort of kind of vaguely familiar with the idea, the concept of it. And the scientists will come out on television and tell you, well, that's progress, you see. Well, who defines what progress is? It's not us. But then we don't have a say in anything at all. And that's a fact. There is no democracy. There never was. There's only the agenda. Now, at Loyola, Loyola University in Louisiana, they've had a couple of meetings there, the World Science Meetings, paid for by the U.S. Department of Commerce, to do with chipping the entire population of the planet, except for the elite, of course. And they've put out hundreds of pages on this, putting chips in, in the brains of people will give peace to the world, and regionalized computers would eventually control people and program them for their jobs so you can be a plumber one day and an electrician the other, it won't matter to you because you won't even know or remember it. And you will not have any individuality. The ghost in the machine won't be able to connect anymore. And in the, in the first, at the first meeting they had, they said that this agenda would be promoted to the public to familiarize them with the idea through novels, through cartoons, movies, etc. Well, that's already been done. There are movies out now, 
under different guises, bringing it, in, in, bringing it into us in different fashions, different ways, but always the same conclusion. And it wasn't long after the first meeting that Final Cut, the movie with Robert Williams, 2004, that came out, and other ones have followed suit. Just to get used to an idea of having something in you which could monitor your activities like a camera, your thoughts like a camera, your, what you see like a camera, what you hear, and play it back after you're deceased to anyone who wants to hear it. That would be a great boon for the police too, eh? They won't have to ask you questions about anything. They'll just have to tap into your chip. The cartoons have heroes with them, with chips now, with superpowers. That's how they'll sell it to the young. Now, at these meetings, they never, ever discussed politics. They didn't even mention governments because these characters, these high scientists, know that, that these are just show, a show for the public. They work for the real boys. So they speak with authority when they speak. And they said this will be promoted through these, mean, through these methods. Cartoons, movies, etc. And novels. And it's quite easy to do. But when you look at uh, especially cultural organizations, interestingly enough, in the Soviet system, they had a, a department of culture. The government had a department of culture. And when I was growing up, I realized we have one in Britain, too. And Canada's got a department of culture. Well, why would you need that? Well, you need it because their job is to dish out money to certain authors, often with instructions to build stories around particular ideas. That's how it's done. That's how you guide culture. You can't have any old guy coming along with a story, not on the script, not on the format, and doing his thing, and everybody loving it. Um, so that, so that everything's done by grants within the arts industry. And high masonry, of course. A good mason never asks why anything. He, he immediately must obey the order from a superior. And that's how they get ahead in life. All politicians do it. They don't think for a second, they don't guess what's going on. It doesn't twig eventually what's going on. They clue in not to ask questions. You're a good boy if you don't ask questions. You just obey. That's how the whole structure works. So check out Final Cut and other ones. Some of them are pretty awful and third rate, but I'm sure they'll put more money into it as they really try to familiarize us with the idea. They haven't yet, I don't think, put out movies where a child is found with, who's been kidnapped because they have a chip. I'm surprised that these things, on these TV dramas they have, there's nothing on television anymore except sports, TV dramas, uh, lawyer dramas, and hospital dramas, the main areas of control in you, you see, medicine, law, etc. <coughs> so... So I'm surprised they haven't put a movie out with some uh, little cutie is kidnapped and everybody's biting their nails wondering what's happening and here's the guys with their, you know, all their test tubes and DNA samples and their little tracker for the chip and they find them at the end and 
and Bruce Willis or some they'll get the, the, the big part and he'll go and storm there like a, like Rambo and rescue them at the end and they'll thank the scientists that designed it and all that. That will come if it's not out already. And one really, really good movie which makes you think. You see, some movies make you think. Most don't. You get, you get downloaded through emotion. It's emotive responses. Emotive indoctrinations. But in Devil's Advocate, the movie shows you the nature of man. And there's a lot, a lot of good clips in there where the devil, who's a, who's a big, has the biggest law firm in New York, talks to a guy who doesn't know that he's actually the son of the devil who's been trained to take over. And he tells me how they're taking over, how they're taking the world over. He said, it's by turning out armies of lawyers, millions of them, millions and millions of lawyers, the through law that you're manacled and you can't move and you can't speak. It's all through law. Law is a wall around your mind. These are a few movies to look at more carefully. Those who have seen them, perhaps you'll look at them more carefully than you did before. Tremendously revealing because there's always the revelation of the method for those who are wise enough to see and hear it. There's always, always an expose of how it's done and why it's done for those who can hear and see. It's good, like, like the Globe Theatre, as I say, that they built for Shakespeare, the Shakespearean plays. It wasn't called the Globe for nothing. The Globe, the world. Where the stage went down into the audience and in those days, they brought in audience participation. They made you involved, you get involved in the story. And many people were carried away with the drama and thought it was all real. And when that happens, the actors know they're, they're, they're convincing, they're, it's working. When the audience forgets they're watching a fake, they're watching an act then the actors are doing their job and it's getting across to the people that they're convinced because now you've inserted into their minds the possibility that whatever you're showing them can be real or is real and you've, you've actually changed them, the alchemical change, you've, you've changed them, you've cast a spell upon them. That's how it's done. In the esoteric traditions, the stage became a microcosm of the microcosm, where all knowledge, which is true, is stored within the person, but it's also the person is a, a miniature of the entire universe. Everything that's out there is contained within that's part of the religion of the, the esoteric occultic groups at the top. The, a, pl 
philosophy itself could be called a, a talisman in a sense a talismanic microcosm they could actually use theatrical effects even in Shakespeare's time uh, for thunder uh, many, many different kinds of stage effects were very, very convincing. They even had the burning of Troy, a large play, a huge play, performed there, and uh, the conflagration of Rome. And they had dozens and dozens of, of altars all around the stages for the burning of, uh, the, the, apparently, the sacrifices. Nothing was spared in the effects of the period to cast a spell upon the public. Now, the public always think they're simply going to be entertained for fun, to enjoy themselves, and often they are. But they never realize that their way is being shaped for them, that their thinking is actually being shaped for them. They're looking into a, an area which they would never have gone themselves in their own lives has been presented to them and they participate in the play in a sense now at one time the magus as they call them the magician in the Rosicrucian Masonic tradition was on a personal quest a personal quest for understanding themselves in relation to the macrocosm and it was in the same period that a split took place in the 1500s where certain of their members became politicized and wanted to control the entire population of the world. That was their intention eventually, was to control and recreate, remake everything that was left imperfect. That's what they say. Everything that was left imperfect because no true thought went into the design of the world. It was a spontaneous act of bringing into existence. And they believed that as they attained godhood themselves individually, they had the right, therefore, to remake the world as it should be. This has never ceased, this particular ideology. And the elite are following it still. That means everything. That's why you're seeing all the modified food, uh, apart to dumb the public down, of course, and to kill you off quicker, which you will, uh, they definitely will. Population control. But they want to modify everything. Everything on the planet, perfect it. Now, this was shown in their architecture of their, the layouts of their buildings, the 15, 16, 1700s into the 1800s. You can see some of the big estates even today that are left over and look at the, the shapes of their gardens, how they're laid out in geometrical patterns, the reflection of the, the macrocosm into the microcosm and vice versa. It was to create the harmony, and that's their terminology, between heaven and earth, harmony. They put great faith in, in doing this. That you will see it's a much older tradition than 
than simply from the 1500s. You'll see it in the, the big cathedrals that were built in the, the early 11th century onwards. You'll see the tremendously domed ceilings and the acoustics are incredible. The mathematical work that went into making all of these uh, interlacing uh, domes and, and almost what they were doing by using the huge beams and shaping them into points at the top as they all met, the arches inside the churches was trying to recreate nature. They all represented the trees and the boughs all coming together. This is what you're seeing, although you're not generally aware of it, a more perfected form of nature. That's what it's all about. And the inheritors of this, these sciences are still working at it today, unbeknownst to the public. And they have total control of the one thing which makes the world go around. It's called money. Now, what was here before, the idea or money, or did they come together with the same idea? Well, you can bet your bottom dollar because you can go back to ancient times and find out that this mystery religion was on the go thousands of years ago and using money to get its way and conquering people and forcing them to use money to get them in the system. Once you have it all done worldwide, it is your system. Everyone's trained to earn money. And above everything in this system is, is the system called economics. Is it there to serve us? Or are we there to serve it? Well, the latter is true, according to the economists. The suffering that goes along with it is, is irrelevant. It's just, well, it's just a, a side effect of it. You can't help that, you see. That's what they say. We're run by a system, an occultic system, by sciences which are still passed on through certain families and through archives, the real histories and the methodologies, the science of how our minds work and how our minds can be manipulated throughout our whole lives. A science kept to a few that put Freud in the kindergarten category. And one can only read the ancient Greek philosophers to get a whiff of that because they were way, way beyond Freud with their techniques. As I say, this is a, this is a big, big topic to go into and I'd rather have done a a worked out series rather than just a spontaneous blurb but there are so many things to do at the moment so many things to be done and time is getting short for everyone as we race along to totalitarianism which is all around us now at least in law and the mechanisms to enforce it are all up and ready. It's not a pretty thing to contemplate, but we must look at what is there in order to come through. 
And in all ages, there have been a few who come through, a few with memory. And memory is very important, very important. Good night from me. I'm a dog, Hamish. And may your God, or your dog, go with you. You ought to be in pictures. Gee, you're beautiful to see. Say you ought to be in pictures. Oh, what a hit you would be. Your voice would thrill the nation. Your looks would be adored. You'd be a big sensation. With wealth and fame, your reward. And if you should kiss the way we kiss when we are all alone, you'd have every girl and man a fan worshiping at your throne. You ought to shine as brightly as Jupiter and Mars. Say you ought to be in pictures, my star of Thank you.